the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Compensatory damages, revenge, marginalization, canceling, things like that. To the contrary, in contrast, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing the unexpected, we purify rather than putrefy the situation or the circumstance. Our actions, our goal, our desire should be to make things better, not worse. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his study through the Book of Romans with a series of messages he's entitled, Changed Relationships with God. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. When people hurt us, when people wound us, or when people hurt or wound those that we love, we want to do something. You know, we want to do unto others what they did unto us, the people that we love. But that is not the way of the Christian. There's this tendency sometimes in, hu- in fallen humanity towards reflex. Remember when you used to, in the old days, you cross your knee and your doctor would whack you on in the knee and it would kick. Some of us, our elbow would jump up, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a reflex that you just want to hit back. You want to make them pay, but that's our flesh. We are to think rather than to react. We are to respond rather than react. We are to give thought to what will be the most exemplary example possible. How can we bring pleasure to the Savior. How can we glorify God in that instant? We have to think, and that is hard to do when you are under pressure, when you are under the stress of persecution. But we are, as we've talked about before, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our logical, thoughtful service of worship. And so we, this involves spiritually and consciously looking before we leave. 
It's not ready, shoot, aim. It's ready, aim, fire. And that's probably not the best analogy here. But if people do evil to us, we have to think, what can I do to glorify God in this moment? What can I do to set an example for others in this moment? What can I do to make much of Christ in this moment? This is a theme throughout the the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 this. See to it, that's a command, it's a new imperative mood, active voice. See to it, see that no one repays evil for evil, but instead, to the contrary, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, not just the people you like, not just the people that like you, but to everyone. Why? You've heard me say this a bazillion times. I don't know if that's a real word, but it just speaks to repetition. We live in a surveillance culture, and it's not the NSA, the CIA, Facebook, Google, or whoever else that's spying. Yeah, they're they're spying on us too, but the culture, Christians have always lived in a surveillance culture from the days of the Colosseum in Rome to now, where the world is looking at us and watching us to see if we really, really believe what we say we do, if we really do practice what we preach. And so we have to see to it that we don't react like the culture, but that we, that we don't blend in with the culture, with this culture of revenge that we live in, but that we stand out as Christians, thinking rather than reacting. We are to be different. We are to think differently. They would say, well, if I were you, Keith, I would do this, and I would have to say, but on the contrary, Christ would have me do that. Look, at, look with me at 1 Peter 3, 9. It's not just Paul saying this, it's Peter saying this, and Jesus said this as well. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You were called to do this. You were called to suffer for the name of of Jesus. And our responding is active worshiping. It's not a visceral reaction to pain and to an anger. It is a thoughtful, deliberate, intentional act of worship where we present our whole bodies a living sacrifice. I want to go back again to Romans 12:17. Repay no one evil for evil, but on the contrary, Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And again, the First Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and. doesn't say but. It says and to everyone. See, and this, re- this requires that we refuse to lose perspective. When we lose perspective, when we lose sight of the cross, when we let other... Th- persons, places, or things distract us, other actions or activities draw us away, we forget our purpose. We forget that we were raised up for such a time as this. And I know that life is hard, and I know that life is frustrating, and I know that life is heartbreaking. I do. But we have to remember that we live in a fallen world, and we have been called to be salt and light. And the costs are high. And you know what? God understands our, 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 our struggles. He knows that our frame is but dust. And I'm reminded that time and time again, Old Testament to New, he gives us examples of right thinking, of how to think rightly, and of people who struggle like we do. Psalm 73 is a beautiful picture of it. Spend a week, spend some time this week doing your devotions there. But I want you to watch this person, Asaph, a man like you and I, flesh and bone, 
think through responding rather than reacting. And he says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And watch him think before he, res- before he acts. Watch his response to all of this. Watch him avoid reacting viscerally. 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed a generation of children. You see, people are watching. Our children, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, our enemies are watching. And if we just react, if we just do it unto them the way they did it unto us, we would betray the Savior. We would betray those around us who have developed or are cultivating an interest in Christ, those whom we are discipling because we ended up worshiping some other idol rather than God. Notice the last line. He, he talked, he, you hear him complaining, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, if I would... If I would have spoken that way, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. Let it never be, Lord. That's what he's saying there. This is what we have to do. We have to, we have to respond rather than react. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five forty six through 48. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, do the same? 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is not a call to sinless perfection, but a call, a demand to be different. Holiness is differentness. You know, you have all the attributes of God, his eternality, his infinitude, his his omniscience, his omnipotence, and holiness is the bucket that contains them all. He's different than anyone or anything in the universe, and we are called to be different than those around us, to be holy, to be perfect, to be different as he is different, to be complete, to be mature, to be maturing. He's already mature. He's already perfect. We are to strive and to struggle thoughtfully and intentionally to be like him. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. Watch this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who, who judges righteously. You and I have to follow Christ's example. We do not react. We respond. We think. We look before we leap. Then what? Well, we come to response number two. Do what's not expected rather than what's expected. It's common sense. It's thoughtfulness. It's deliberate worship. The world expects you to give a smart answer. The world expects you to shove those who shove you, but you have to do the unexpected. We see this in verses uh, 19 and 20 in Romans chapter 12. What does it say? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here's this, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. The culture says, don't get mad, get even. But the Bible says differently. And you know, he's quoting Proverbs. He's quoting the Old Testament here. People always try to make a false dichotomy between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Same God, same Jesus. Same teaching, Genesis to Revelation. People expect you to treat your enemies like dirt. That's the way your enemies tend to treat you. That's the way the culture treats the Christian these days. But you are to be different. You are to do the unexpected. 
The culture demands punitive damages, punishing compensation. You know, we live in a, in a modernized pagan revenge culture, you know? Reparations, compensatory damages, revenge, marginalization, canceling, things like that. But we are to do differently. Look again at verse 20. To the contrary, in contrast, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing the unexpected, we purify rather than putrefy the situation or the circumstance. Our actions, our goal, our desire should be to make things better, not worse. Our actions shouldn't cause a stink. They should disinfect the situation. Where do we see that? We see that at the tail end of verse 20. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. There's your purification language. It's funny. I love this there's a whole bunch of urban legends around what it means about heaping burning coals on somebody's head. And, and basically, without getting into all of them, a lot of it is based on some questionable understanding of some Egyptian rite where somebody would walk through a village when they were brokenhearted over what they'd done and with, coals on, with a container on their head set on fire and people throwing coals in there to make sure they really repented. But you know what? I don't want to base anything on Egyptian culture. And I don't think walking around in the middle of the Egyptian desert or even on the Nile Delta in 100 degree heat with a, with a smoker on my head is really something that ever probably took place. Uh, but what it is is purification language. Coals and heat and fire represent purification. If you look in Isaiah 6, 5 through 7, you see this. This is Isaiah standing before the throne of God knowing that he is, metaphorically speaking, toast. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal and he had, that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The goal is this, is when somebody treats you badly and you set a Christian example and you glorify Christ in the situation, your example, which is respectable and honorable to all, tends to purify the situation rather than putrefy it. It tends to purge the air of the stench of their anger and it may bring them to godly grief and repentance. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the purifying language. The goal of that little discourse is the heaping of coals is purification of some degree, of some means, of some sort. Earlier in Romans uh, 12, chapter 12, verses 9 and 14, we read this. Let love be genuine. Let it be real. Let it be honest. Let it be sincere. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I remember reading uh, Richard Wormbrand. He was the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. And when the socialists imprisoned him or were beating him with an inch of his life every day, they would come in each day in Romania and uh, administer a beating because he was a Christian pastor. And those types of governmental philosophies militate against Christianity. And so he was in there. They walked in one day and he was kneeling and praying. And they came in, they stood over him and they laughed at him. And they said, you know what? You can pray all day to your God, but you belong to us right now. And we are going to administer a beating that you will never forget. And he looked up at him and he said, I'm not praying for me. 
I'm praying for you because you belong to God and you need to know that. And they administered their customary beating, but that statement, him praying for them, his response to them, it wasn't bitter, hung up one of those guards. And when the wall came down and they released him from prison years later, he walked out with his belongings arm in arm with the guard who administered that beating. A free man and that guard a free man in Christ because of that example. That example put a crack in that man's armor and he began to regard this thing he had been beating, you know, for the cause of whatever. Socialist guards changed by the power of the gospel. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, even the people who treat you. You are to be salt and light. You are to be the contrast with the darkness. You are to be a city set on a hill that cannot be ignored because your light shines throughout the whole room. Response number three. Response number three. Worship rather than blaspheme. Worship rather than blaspheme. You know, we, t- use, we throw that word around blaspheme around all the time, blasphemy. If you look it up, you know what it means? It has to do with, with insulting. If you blaspheme, if you insult the Holy Spirit in Jesus' day, that was the unforgivable sin. Now it's dying without Christ. But we are to worship rather than blaspheme. And where do we see that? It's implied in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As you present your body as a living sacrifice, as you refuse to be conformed to this world, but seek to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may show, prove, demonstrate, Reveal what is the acceptable, good, and perfect will of God. You have to overcome evil with good. You do not fight fire with fire. This isn't a shooting war. You have to be holy because your Father is holy. You have to be like Christ. And and, and Jesus taught, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We are to choose sacrifice rather than to worship our anger. And sacrifice costs us dearly, but not as dearly as it costs the Lord Jesus Christ. We, are, we have to think of what is acceptable in the sight of all. Taking everyone into account, we have to be aware of our surroundings. We have to be aware of our calling. We have to be focused on the Savior. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is the impetus. All of this trickles down to this point that says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the turn the other cheek concept from the Sermon on the Mount. This is to, this is to seek to outdo one another in doing good to others. It's about doing what is contrary to human nature, contrary to the culture, so that we stand out as Christ followers rather than blend in. And when we refuse to react, when we choose to respond as Christians in a Christ-like way, we engage in God worship. And when we choose to respond the other way with sarcasm, with hate, we worship an idol, either our own anger, our own self-righteousness, or something like that. And that really is an insult. The Spirit of God who indwells each and every one of us, who gives us the ability to do in Him what we cannot do in our own strength. That is, read, apply, and understand the Word of God to that, and apply it to that situation. Self-worship ultimately is blasphemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. We are not to fight fire with fire. We are to overcome evil with good. Anyone can fight fire with fire. All of us have the opportunity and the ability to do this. We have the resources. God has not left us as orphans. He has sent another helper like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is in us and with us for all time. And each day we walk down the corridors of the workplace or the academy or the halls in our own home, and we have two buckets in our hand. One bucket has water. The other bucket has gasoline. And when we encounter situations and circumstances, insult and injury, we can dump water on the fire, trying to overcome evil with good, or we can dump gasoline on the fire. And what do you think is going to happen when that gasoline ignites? Do you think you're going to get burnt? You bet. You bet. We are Christ followers. We are called to follow in his steps. That's what we're called to do. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this in our daily lives? Well, what we have here, I believe, in these three responses is a blueprint for daily living. A very simple blueprint for dealing with your enemies, for managing for lack of a better descriptive term, your relationship with your enemies, for glorifying God through your interaction with your enemies, whoever you think they are. And sometimes your enemies are real, and more often than not, they're imagined. That's why we have to, number one, by way of application, think rather than react. You've got to just stop and think. My mother used to say, son, before you open that mouth, count to 10. My father said it differently. Count to 10 because your next words may be your last. No, just kidding. But but anyway, and that usually made me stop and think, do I want to do this? And secondly, do the unexpected. Do what's not expected rather than what is expected. Don't sink to their level. Seek to soar to the next levels of your spiritual growth in Christ. You know, through Christ, we have access to the throne of grace. We come boldly before the throne of grace because we are children of God and have children heirs and of heirs co-heirs with Christ. Live up to your calling. Live up to your relationship with God, not down to the world's standards. And finally, worship rather than blaspheme. Do what you do, no matter what you, for the glory of God, for the good of others, and growth. That is the message of Romans 12. You have to think like a Christian. And here, here's, here's the problem with so many people know about God, but don't know God. So many Christians don't read the Bible, but they know people who do, and they read all kinds of books, but they don't read the Bible. And they don't reprogram their thinking. They don't update their software. And they fail to respond. They fail to grow. They fail to know how to answer the questions, how to give a hope, how to give a reason for the hope that lies within them with meekness, gentleness, respect. And I want you to think about these three responses. I want you to make them your own. Because what separates us from Islam or any other religion with pillars or sacraments or whatever is that we think. And thinking isn't dead religion. Thinking has to do with a relationship. Thinking isn't ritual, endless prayer cited over and over again. Thinking is worship. Because when we think rightly, right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, which are words and deeds. And we don't go off the rails. We stay on course. Think about what you read. Think about what you hear and how to implement it. And you will be able to think rather than respond, to do the unexpected, and to worship rather than to blaspheme. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. All of Romans 12, Father, how to worship, how to apply everything that went on in Romans chapters 1 through 11, everything in the Old and New Testament, how to bring it to bear in this life as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, not conformed to this world, 
but transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can show the world through our testimony, through our witness, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Father, help us to translate this into action within the church as we serve selflessly with our gifts, all the gifts that you've given us, as we interact with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and as we even deal with the people outside the church, many of whom fancy themselves as our enemies, Lord. Help us to be more like Jesus and less like the world. We pray this and amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.